The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Fun night of games to get to. Let's get right to it. Uh, Talk about what we did for the NBA cast today. Sixers taking care of Indiana. In Indiana, Pacers have now lost two straight after that 7-3 start that had us so excited. 7-5 isn't nearly as exciting. Uh, And Philly getting their first road win of the season. So both these teams now sitting at 7-5. What was your first or or the most salient thing that you could take away from this one? Well, I think there are two big angles on this game. So one is, while it's one opponent and one game, in this one opponent, one game situation, I thought DeMontis Sabonis looked a lot better than Miles Turner. He made Joel Embiid work differently. He attacked mismatches more aggressively. And Philly tried something that has been a background concern for me for a little while now, as Miles Turner has forged an identity with his best skill being his jump shot, which is paralleling something that I think you're the first person I heard talk about this with Ryan Anderson a few years ago. The idea that if what somebody does primarily is jump shoot, you can put somebody smaller on them unless they have the right skills and they can't really hurt you that much and that was something philly did at moments of this game sometimes they're playing turner and sabonis together and philly was putting Embiid on sabonis and then they were putting somebody smaller on sharich often on miles turner and miles turner couldn't do a whole heck of a lot well and more importantly indiana tried to get him to do a a whole heck of a lot and they tried to post him up i mean he played 30 minutes he was two for eight uh, and he and Sabonis played a lot more together in this game than we normally see. In fact, McBillan kind of sounded like he had said that lineup was going to be dead, but with Thad Young really struggling offensively, he only played 21 minutes in this game. He was negative 16. I still might have tried to go to him over Turner just to, for the defense because I didn't think Turner helped the defense a ton in this one. But yeah, I mean, he's just, Miles Turner just isn't a good post up player. Like, it's, we saw him like try to post up on Kyle Korver last year. He couldn't do it. Like, he's just not. Not strong enough to get the real juicy stuff that a post up against a smaller player is supposed to get right the reason that you go you know unless you're like a kevin durant type of jump shooter the reason you want to get a big against a small is so he can back down and just use his superior size and either get fouled or get a very close in shot and turner just doesn't really have that in his game but the more worrisome thing to me is just how few three-pointers he's saying we talked about this on the 15 and 60 that he's under two a game he was passing up a ton of wide open threes 
at times in this game i don't know whether that's mcmillan saying that he shouldn't do that or a lack of confidence or just his wanting to establish himself in some of the way i mean he already got paid uh and you know mcmillan did have these somewhat troubling comments earlier in the week that hey you know what we're not golden state and we're not boston so you know we're the pacers and we're not going to shoot as many threes even though they have really good three-point shooters on this team uh and so i think turner if he's not going to space out especially going against joel Embiid too i mean that's the other thing now the sixers did guard him with a smaller player at times uh, but nonetheless i mean space the floor for your guys because really like Embiid was just a massive force in the lane the Pacers really could not get anything going after the first quarter or so uh and so I I just didn't like how he was used I didn't like how he was using himself uh and you know again we saw Sabonis be more effective than him as well including one just massive dunk which was awesome Sabonis had uh 16 points in this one so I, I I'm in agreement I I just you know Turner just doesn't seem to be taking these next steps that we wanted to see from him and part of this is Turner not doing what we hoped, but another part is giving praise to Sabonis. I mean, Sabonis doesn't wow you other than that dunk, which was ridiculous. I mean, my current uh, my yeah. current dunk Th- of the season uh, there's favorite. There's a meme of us on Twitter that will show just how wowed we were. Someone got a screenshot. Well, and it was, was it was shocking beyond beyond all the Sabonis dunking on Joel Embiid elements. It was how it happened. It was just kind of driving down the lane, and then it just all of a sudden he showed a little bit more burst, not only vertically but more laterally. He took off from further away than Sabonis usually does on dunks, and I I'm sure it surprised Embiid, and it's more than just that though i mean sabonis he doesn't stick like in in the offense if if the ball gets to him and there's a decision to make he he does so quickly and gets the ball to the to a player in a reasonable spot for them to succeed there was one three-pointer i think it was Corey joseph i can't remember who it was who it basically happened just because the ball moved quickly and defensively he's kind of in the way i mean he's definitely not a perfect player there but he can he knew that you know he had a fair amount of defensive rebounds in this game ended up with eight which was more than twice as many as miles turner had in the game and it's not going to be this you know the the flashy blocks that miles turner had and he had one of those in this game and then he had another one that was a little bit more conventional but those i tried to draw a distinction on the nba cast between shot blockers and rim protectors and neither one of these guys is really a rim protector but the shot blocking that turner provides and the difference between that and Sabonis isn't so great that i think there's this big like gulf which you could guess with their athleticism difference but that doesn't really exist yeah i'm in agreement there and you know with Sabonis under contract at, for well under five million dollars uh well actually now he's the 11th pick so he might be getting up close to there next year uh but yeah and Turner going in to be making 18 million a season <laughs> you know you do wonder about that decision. I thought you were going to lead in there to talking about Sabonis's yeah. strength well yeah that was a story yeah it was tonight. I mean I, I think that was the one thing because you know we're always like oh he can only shoot left-handed like and he actually had a a, a couple of right-handed plays you know he's he's getting a little bit more there uh you can tell it's not second nature for him yet it's sort of like oh i guess this is one of those ones that the coach said i should shoot with my right hand so i guess i will but even that is progress you know from where he was last year uh and, and he definitely does work hard but yeah i mean i think the fact that he's been able to be so effective only having that left hand it's because he's just so strong i mean he had he went through and beat albeit with yeah a little bit of an offensive foul at the right arm but that's all right it was a spectacular dunk i'm not gonna kill him too badly on that one uh and then you know he had another finish where he just had guys 
bouncing off him he's able to just even when guys cut him off he's still able to just kind of go through them with that shoulder get to that left-handed hook shot in the lane but you know really i think this game was more about the sixers frankly which is it's kind of funny because through most of the game it felt like the pacers were out playing them uh and oladipo was awesome he had uh, 22 in the first half it struggled more in the second and finished 14 out of 30 which is a ton of shots um but i, I thought that joel Embiid didn't have his best offensive game he had 12 uh in the first half it finished with 20 but it was really spectacular in the first quarter i thought going at turner and then uh they kind of got a little bit away from that but it just that sixers defense came back and part of that too is that you know they've struggled with stretch options on Embiid. well you know they found someone for Embiid to guard whether it was young whether it was sabonis uh turner wasn't spacing it out uh I thought Covington had a fantastic defensive game. And again, because the spa- the Pacers just don't really space it out. They don't run anything incredibly sexy either. You know, that was another thing I noticed from the Pacers is it's just, you know, their actions don't really flow together. You know, it's kind of, okay, we're going to set a screen for Oladipo, but then he's going to get to the top of the key and take another three steps away from the basket. We're going to, it's just simply, let's get him the ball, but then he's going to take three steps away from the basket, turn around and the defense will be set when he gets it. You know, he's not catching on the move really. There's very few actions where they're catching it on the move if they're the Pacers. And so when Philly is able to set their defense, Simmons had a pretty good defensive game as well. And B can get into position. They don't really have anyone who is going to kill Dario Saric either. And Saric broke out uh, in a big way finally from his shooting slump with four or six from downtown uh, and was a positive player for the first time in a while here. Uh, this Philly defense uh, can look really good uh, against uh, more of a conventional style team. And that's, while the Pacers might have the personnel to not be so conventional, they certainly play extremely conventional yeah and that line ties in with the second storyline for me which is also how much better philadelphia's offense looks when their role players are hitting shots because there were elements of this game like the first half i mean where those guys weren't hitting shots reddick didn't make a three in this entire game mb you know limited there and then covington and charge came on late and once that happened including some some interesting lineups where they were they're fiddling with charge and simmons at the four and the five which was yeah. fascinating and playing fultz and simmons together but all three of the other guys could shoot yeah that was yeah, they interesting didn't have and Embiid or johnson on the floor with those two guys so they're the idea was that they could operate with a little more space i think that was that had some success tonight it had some success i mean there were some help defensive problems yeah. there as you would expect when you don't have guys that really have those responsibilities but i like to see brett brown trying things and i mean the bigger argument i talked about in the 15 and 60 is that i think fultz and simmons are more duplicative than collaborative at least at this point in each of their respective developments but but they're you know try things out that's what the regular season is for and if you can do it without losing a game something else from the sixers perspective i'm hoping this changes i'm expecting this to change but wilson chandler just looks slow out there you know last year he had a rough season with the Nuggets. It was an, uh, an idea of kind of like lagging indicators because he had been productive and some would argue unheralded earlier in his Nuggets career. And then last year he looked he looked shaky. And then, you know, coming back from this hamstring issue, he still looks shaky. And they need that to get better. Theoretically, Zaire Smith coming back from the Jones fracture eventually could help, but that's yeah. relying he, on a he's rookie. He's not going to be able to shoot and, at an NBA level. I, I would be very right, surprised. Right. So we're not all the way there yet, but this is looking kind 
kind of like what we saw last year, where the Sixers have a couple of bench guys they can trust. And, and this year it's different because they're not starting Redick, at least for now. So if you're counting him as a bench guy, that's a bench guy you can trust. Shamit's doing what, you know, he's kind of fulfilling a role. And I'm, I'm, I enjoy when they play those two guys together because sometimes they just run like duplicate JJ Redick stuff for them at the same time, which I, I just enjoy. Not something you get to see very often in NBA offenses. But outside of those guys, I mean, Amir Johnson, again, he looks slow too. Like he doesn't look like the same guy that was in Toronto a few years ago or even that first year on the Celtics. And that means they're probably looking at the buyout market. They're the, all those sorts of things. They're the Sixers are good enough where they can survive a lot of this. But if we're talking about the playoffs, I mean, they needed Ersan Ilyasova. They needed Marco Bellinelli. And maybe Shamit replaces Bellinelli, but then they need Ilyasova. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's not like they shot amazingly well from three, but at least the guys who don't hit them as much, you know, Sharge in particular, you know, to be able to space the floor and get guard out there was key. And I thought Covington, he was only two of six from three, but he had both of his threes and also a, a ridiculous twisting layup and one, uh, a personal 9-0 run in the third quarter, uh, which was really when Philly surged out to the lead. And Fultz, you know, 26 minutes tonight, was actually plus 14 you know he wasn't incredibly efficient he again wasn't looking to shoot outside at all he took a couple of jump shots he missed some real easy layups I mean it's it's good that he can at least get to those layups and he also had one dunk where he came down the lane but you know Indy just didn't help at all uh so you know some baby steps there finding a way to play Simmons oh. and Fultz together yeah what were you gonna say something else to help Marco Fultz in this game is that particularly Darren Collison but generally speaking the the Pacers point guards just weren't that involved in the offense and so Oladipo was dominant and I mean if Oladipo is scoring and driving the way that he did for portions of this game it makes sense but that leaves a, a little bit of a seam for a guy like Marco Fultz who is definitely limited defensively had a couple of brain parts in this game as he as he usually does and young guys do and Markel Fultz had them in college and high school too so the Pacers it's it's so strange like I, I can understand the idea of using your point guard as a spot-up shooter if you're relying a lot on another player you know various teams have done that but it just seemed like the ball was never really finding those guys when Oladipo was on the floor and that leads to a point that you and I have both discussed and will continue to as this as the team building for the Pacers extends with cap space and everything like that because if you're not going to use that person as even a secondary playmaker most of the time you can go for some different skill sets there you don't have to have somebody who's 6-2 yeah I mean it's like you just it seems like McMillan's like well I need to have a point guard on the floor but you know especially at the end of the half and the end of the game like they run pick and roll for Oladipo every single play so like what is the point of having Collison out there when you could go with someone who's a little bit better defensively and they do go with Joseph there but then he takes stuff off the table offensively however I'm not sure who they necessarily could have put in McDermott struggled tonight uh uh, you know missed missed his two shots uh wasn't really able to get open and then Tyreek I thought he looked like he was just running in molasses the whole game I mean you know he's got a nice euro step he's worked on his jump shot a lot he deserves a ton of credit for that but he doesn't look to be in great shape I mean just his activity level is very low you know any kind of thing where he's got to do a DHO or something like he's just not moving very fast not eluding his defender guys are denying him the ball really easily like forcing him way out on the floor and then anytime he doesn't have the ball if he if something is called for him to make a cut he's just going to jog through it he's not going to actually get open or you know suck the defense in with a back cut or something like that and defensively also I, I thought this was not one of his better games um you know this is a, I've only seen a couple of Pacers games so far um 
you know, I've been reading Jay Michael. He says that Tyreek's actually been okay on defense this year. Uh, but, you know, I didn't really see that in this game, to be honest. And it can be really hard for a player with Tyreek's early success to adjust to, even if he has a higher usage role as a bench player. I mean, last year he had, had a high usage rate. He was the best player on the Memphis Grizzlies, full stop. Not the best bench player or anything like that. Maybe it's he's having a challenge engaging with that, even though he is on a, a more competitive team this year than what ended up happening in Memphis last year. Maybe we caught him on an off night. That's why we watch, try to watch teams more frequently is because you, you never know what sample you're getting and whether it's totally representative. But it was concerning all the same. And that's why when I talked about the, the Pacers potentially, you know, the point guard idea, I said it more as a team building thing because I agree with you that they don't really have that personnel right now. But when they think about what they want to do with their flexibility moving forward, it is a, a, a significant consideration. And something else that was, I, you talked a little bit about Thaddeus Young, his limitations defensively, but something that I thought really affected the tenor of this game early, he had three turnovers in like the first three minutes of this game. And that led the Sixers to go on a run. The Pacers, of course, eventually made it a game again, and it, it wasn't like it affected it. But that helped give the Sixers some cushions so that what the Pacers were always kind of coming back and then maybe taking a slight lead rather than building up a lead and then the Sixers coming back, which, you know, the Sixers go out to leads all the time and lose them. But it was still, I thought it was still significant even later in the game once it gotten close. Again. I think that's about all I have uh, on this one. As listeners know, uh, I just got married, and so we got our photos back. Got uh, a bunch of really good ones, and now that you're married i've been putting it off a, a long time but apparently you're supposed to do holiday cards now and just so happens we have all these great official photos from the the wedding photographer and i was really dreading having to do holiday cards it's just like it seems like such an annoying process but with minted it was incredibly easy all i had to do was text a photo to cards that's 22737 and then minted stylus actually texts us back with five hand selected designs we haven't decided exactly which ones we're going to do yet but these are actually created by independent artists they showcase the photo and we get free custom envelopes and recipient addressing in a variety of matching designs and hand styled fonts if only we had known about minted before we had to do our thank you notes then we really would have saved a lot of time and actually made them look a lot cooler than the ones that we got so now we've got everyone's addresses from the weddings we can just plug those in into minted and send our christmas cards which are going to look awesome with the photos from the wedding thanks to minted so once again the way to get started with them text your photo to cards that's 22737 new customers get 20 percent off but only through november 30th once again that's 22737 cards before november 30th and get 20 percent off your first purchase get started right now once again text your picture to 22737 all of their orders are 100% guaranteed. All right, so we'll do a little bit of a different approach for the other two games we're going to talk about because we, yeah. Wait, actually, before before we get to the other two games, I forgot that we had a couple of good stats generated by our NBA cast director of Foresight, Ben no, Dole. director on... of basketball research. Liam, Liam. Sorry, I'll get it at some Liam point. Liam is director of Insight and Foresight. 
Okay, I'll get it at some point. But he, we asked him to, to pull some stuff, and I actually thought these told a good story of the game. So Oladipo started out really hot on pull-ups. I think he had five points on three pull-ups in the beginning of the game. Ended up with five on 12, uh, nine three-pointers off the dribble, three two-pointers, and then nine points on five catch-and-shoots. That's almost two points per possession. Then Embiid had seven points on 11 post possessions, split between tournaments bonus and then one weird one on Curry Joseph. Yeah, I'd like to see them run more stuff off the ball for Oladipo. Like, he is a pretty good catch and shoot guy and he's so fast that he can really elude guys on those plays and then if they overcommit, he can actually curl into the lane and get something but again you know they just don't run enough of that stuff i don't think um and then Embiid's post up you know he had a lot of success early against turner but largely it got shut down there uh but it ended up not matter i mean this was a, a defensive game pretty fast paced it was 100 possessions and you know 194 and that was even with some garbage time buckets late uh it ended up not uh, being quite as close as that six point score would have indicated um but where do you want to go next we're just going to talk about the fourth quarter of these other two games since we're that's all we really had time to go through let's let's go to the game that was occurring at the same time we were doing the nba cast denver memphis while i can talk it's not midnight and this was i mean you see the score 89 87 you go oh my god like it's a you know a throwback game it also was an incredibly slow game by modern standards 88 possessions so I mean, it was still a defensive slog and all that kind of stuff. And it was looking that way when the fourth quarter started. And one of the first things that stood out to me was the matchup between Jaron Jackson Jr. and Mason Plumley. And on the first possession of the fourth quarter, Jaron drove all the way to the bucket on Plumley. Plumley, you know, a, a very capable, one of the better backup centers in the entire league, but that's not really something he could do, you know, get all the way out there. And Jaron played power forward a lot at, at Michigan State. I think he could take advantage of that matchup. But then later on, we saw some of the power forward in Jaron Jackson come into play where he wasn't exactly in the right place defending pick and rolls. And so Denver was getting some cleaner looks than you'd expect because he wasn't, you know, he wasn't in the right place for the alley-oop or he wasn't anything like that. And that's not a criticism necessarily of Jaron Jackson. He just is going to take him some time. But uh, one of the things that I, I kept on thinking about during this because I didn't know the full context of the game was where the hell is Paul Millsap? And my the resolution on it is something that makes some sense to me which is a player who is dealing with a nagging injury but still playing and so Millsap was in the game for 20 minutes but he didn't apparently like his stat line doesn't look like himself it doesn't appear that he looked like himself but he is still playing he just didn't play in the fourth quarter yeah Lyles uh, and Hernan Gomez I I think they went the entire fourth quarter with both of those guys on the floor uh, at the three and the four um the biggest thing that struck me and this game was close most of the way in the fourth I just thought that the Nuggets were getting way better shots I mean they were just bricking open three after open three and this one and a number of them that just spun out of the basket too I mean now Memphis didn't shoot any better Denver was one out of eight Memphis was one out of seven from three in the final period and uh six out of 21 and eight out of 21 uh, overall shooting uh the Grizz got to the line which the Nuggets were unable to do and Trey Lyles missed a big free throw late uh, on an and one that uh could have been a, a huge play uh 
but i mean i think the nuggets actually out executed the grizzlies in the fourth quarter and just were not able to make the shots which were some pretty decent ones from good shooters too something else that reared its head a couple of times in the fourth quarter especially in the last two and a half minutes was just strangely lax passing by the nuggets like there were there was a play where they turned the ball over and there was another one where they were they weren't really getting pressured by memphis but they floated in an entry pass and it it didn't become a turnover but it, it disjointed the possession a little bit and this team has capable passers there was also one where Jamal Murray threw the ball on a you know trying to seeing eye get it to Nikola Jokic and it was too low and that became a turnover as well and you know it, it's not something that I I consider a hallmark of like a negative thing for Denver I mean at the, this year they're middle of the road in terms of turnovers I believe that's about where they were last year but in big moments especially when you're facing a capable team those can be more more convoluted a few other notes that I, I mean you mentioned the pace Memphis is dead last in offensive pace you know the number of seconds it takes them uh to get a shot or a turnover and you know they really impose their will in terms of pace in this game you know denver i think really only the two times that they're able to run they got great shots uh with wancho getting a, a layup and then they had, ran a drag string with Jokic. everybody closed out on Jokic. he found murray murray had a wide open three that he just couldn't make uh what do you make of Jokic taking so few shots last night against the celtics as well or i guess i can't remember it was last night or two nights ago that murray yeah it was two nights ago that murray had the 48 uh you know Jokic took like three shots there is that a concern to you yes it is i mean he did get four free throws oh hey big spender and not only that but Jokic's only shot of this game was the last shot of this game which is bizarre for a guy who plays 26 minutes and is the team's best yeah, offensive he was player. in foul trouble all so, game too which i think i think th- yes. that in particular makes him a lot less aggressive because so much of his game he gets yeah, offensive yeah. fouls. So much of his game is you know using his size to get into position, you know, and really work guys in the post. But you know, I thought Marcus All. I mean, I think it's pretty clear to me that he's back. You know, I thought he was cooked last year, but it seems like actually no, he's looked pretty good. And this Grizzlies defense, they've got a lot of size, man. I mean, like you think of their starting lineup. Gasol is huge at seven one. Jackson is you know huge wingspan seven four. Pretty good mobility. I mean, how many teams have someone like him at the four? Even as a rookie, uh, and then Kyle Anderson at the three, he's got a seven four wingspan as well. And you know, a team like the Nuggets doesn't really have a player who's going to be able to take advantage of Anderson's lack of quickness. Now the Grizz have absolutely no scoring. I mean, their their offense is not good. But if they can continue to defend this way all season i think they can be in the playoff mix if as appears you know i don't know if the eighth seed is going to take 47 wins to get to in the west like it did last year necessarily although certainly when teams start with the tank that can change it and a lot of these teams will start playing better down the end yeah that's true something else that was striking not only in in the fourth quarter but also i looked back because i wanted to check for the rest of the game memphis only took 70 shots from the field in this game but 31 of them were in the restricted area and they got to the line 25 times in this game so they were getting a lot on the interior they only took four long twos in the entire game only made one of them but is, it doesn't matter a, if you only take memphis? four so, so memphis, that's a, yes. a two outside the lane basically is what you're saying is a yes long two, yeah. yeah 
a mid-range yeah. shot, I guess, would be a way a way of putting it. And yeah, I mean, they were getting and in the fourth quarter, you know, the, the, maybe they're getting to a runner. There was one actually where I thought Trey Lyles did a nice job defending Marcus Gasol, but Marcus Gasol can make that shot. And I think Denver is really, you know, like when I watched that fourth quarter and seeing not that Memphis was getting a ton of good shots, they got some. I, I agree with you that Denver got better shots, but you could see them missing Paul Millsap just because Millsap battles for defensive rebounds. He makes a lot of those a lot of those plays more challenging, and also. So it puts so much on Lyles and and Hernan Gomez's shoulders, and I thought to me they looked a little bit fatigued by the end of this, which makes complete sense when you, you're a guy who's usually coming off the bench and plays the entire fourth quarter. Yeah, although Lyles, I, I thought did play pretty well. I mean, he was second on the team with 16 points and was one of the few to play efficiently. It was a wild last two minutes, though. Grizz led 83-82. I'm sorry, uh, Nuggets actually led 83-82 with a minute 51 left. Grizz called timeout. And Shelvin Mack makes a three on a miscommunication, most likely between Lyles and Hernan Gomez. Things got switched around. So Lyles was guarding Gasol and Hernan Gomez was on Mack. And Mack has actually been more aggressive shooting the three. I thought he looked good in that uh, against the Warriors, the game we saw in person on Friday or on Monday night. Um, So you would think two like-sized guys, both kind of power forward size. That's an auto switch. But Lyles just stayed back in the lane on that pick and roll and Hernan Gomez apparently thought he was going to switch he didn't and so that's how Mac was able to bang the three that was the biggest shot of the game to put the Grizz up two and then the other key shot for the Grizz late was Conley splitting the defense he got past Jokic uh who he's been getting a lot of hype for his defense and I've, I've never thought that he just like sucked but on this play he was too slow Conley they've been bringing Jokic further out on the floor Conley was able to split the defense get in the lane and go to that patented 12 foot floater um anything on any of that or or uh should we continue the end yeah, here? yeah. I, I wanted to say that I thought Lyles did a nice job recovering over on that Conley drive because otherwise he would have gotten right to the basket and forcing the footer. Conley is amazingly proficient at that shot, but he, he realized, you know, okay, that's a better place for me to be. And also on that play, Denver, it appeared to me, deliberately did not have Jokic on Gasol. So JB Bickerstaff, right play, just didn't have Marcus Gasol set the screen. They set the screen with uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., who Jokic was guarding. Conley wrong foots him, gets into the lane, and gets that floater. Yeah, then the Nuggets call timeout. I thought they did a nice job trying to set up the two-for-one down two possessions. And they ended up getting it uh, in a roundabout way, but they went right away. They tried to get Lyles on a back door. Jokic completed the pass, but Lyles was stuck under the backboard swing swung it outside and then jamal murray was able to drive the closeout find lyles for a lay-in and marcus actually got him on the arm the, the, but lyles missed a, a key free throw uh that could have put the nuggets within one instead though they did get the two for one and actually no i i misspoke here uh lyles missed the offensive uh, missed the free throw but it actually worked out for the nuggets because Hernan gomez got the offensive rebound and jamal murray with that 14 second shot clock made one right at the end of the clock there off the offensive rebound at 21 footer to tie it he had a really rough game he was six out of 21 after that 48 the other night but uh was able to hit some shots in the fourth quarter and so then that tied the game murray hit this he had a step back to to me it looks like his foot was on the line but not like his foot was on the line it was almost a 
because yeah. just his foot was on the line. And so then they Mike Malone brought in Mason Plumlee to replace Jokic. No problem with that. I mean, he's a better defensive player than Jokic. Jokic had just gotten wrong footed by Gasol or sorry by Conley to get the to get the floater that put Memphis up four. And they run not a Con- Conley Gasol pick and roll, but a Shelvin Mack Gasol pick and roll. And Jamal Murray, you know, they got the ball to to Marcus Gasol and Jamal Murray just fouled him on the drive and Gasol is a, a very good free yeah. throw shooter hits both those to to put it up to a two-point mark yeah and that was a point of education play right uh where there's only five seconds left basically you know as the play ran down and so the nuggets usually with under five seconds you'll be in a switch especially because uh the grizz don't have a ton of guys who are going to go one-on-one there isn't really time to get into a post-up at that point but gasol did a great job slipped the screen murray was not able to get in front of him he had to grab him with two hands and you could tell he almost realized what he was doing like oh shit i shouldn't do this but once you get two hands around the guy as he's cutting to the rim the refs are really looking for that in the freedom of movement and so gasol makes both free throws then the nuggets tried to run the old fake dho that everyone is running now at the end of the game uh and instead Jokic just turned and was open for a three because gasol kind of backed off a little bit to take away the drive off the dho and got a pretty good look at it but uh his first shot of the game missed and murray got the offensive rebound for a tip i thought he had a pretty good look at it but he ended up airballing it way short and uh the nuggets fall to eight and two yeah so i would say this is a a far more significant win for memphis than it is a loss for denver but it is still you know affects the the dynamics in the western conference playoff picture preliminarily and yeah very very nice win for memphis to just battle through it and and get it and another team that is benefiting from competence top to bottom i mean their lineup got ravaged by injuries last year and they're still dealing with i mean jermichael green is out right now chandler parsons is out right now but having players like garrett temple having wayne selden and dylan brooks on their bench those guys aren't necessarily setting the world on fire but they aren't going to make as many mistakes and they're you know they have enough capable depth and so i think that's really helping memphis as well as their defensive excellence so far all right before we move on to la and minnesota this from proper cloth they know that finding a dress shirt that fits is pretty difficult at six 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 nine wingspan by the way same height and wingspan as doug mcdermott by the way it is hard for me to find shirts that fit for me if the arms are long enough the trunk is always too wide the armpits are too wide it just you don't get that seam right under your armpits where it's supposed to go if you want a proper slim fitting shirt but with proper cloth a custom fit shirt has never been easier you can create a custom shirt size in seconds by answering 10 simple questions you can have 20 collar styles you can even look like brian colangelo if you want to 10 cuff styles 500 fabric styles from classic to business to casual to business casual even customize your shirt get the style that you want each one of their shirts goes through extensive quality control testing you're getting the absolute best quality and craftsmanship and they guarantee a perfect fit so if somehow your shirt doesn't fit perfectly they will remake it for free best of all they start at just 80 dollars. so you don't have to wear shirts that don't fit anymore look your best with a custom fitted shirt go to propercloth.com slash cap space today and enter gift code cap space to save 20 dollars on your first shirt easy to remember we talk about cap space all the time in the program that's propercloth.com slash cap space enter gift code cap space to save $20 on your first shirt and let them know that you came from us so I don't think we need to spend quite as much time on this one I think maybe the biggest thing was that Tyson Chandler actually closed this game and actually had three offensive rebounds in the last minute 
and gave them a little more size he had some pretty good defense on carl anthony towns earlier in the game is another struggle fest for towns at five out of 16 from the field one of six from three uh but it just, I mean, we mostly were focused on the fourth quarter here of this one. What were your thoughts? A lot more Rajon Rondo than Lonzo Ball. I'm not even sure if Lonzo played in the fourth quarter. I watched most of the second half, most of the second half of this game. I mean, that was a small sample. I didn't think Rondo was playing well enough that you have to go to him. And for whatever reason, whether it's Luke, LeBron, or both, they seem to be trusting Rondo, whatever that means. And I, I still, I still continue to like Josh Hart and his fit with LeBron. And I understand, considering some of the constraints and considerations involved, why he's not starting now that Brandon Ingram is back. But I just love his fit with LeBron. I think they should try to maximize that as best they can. And Minnesota, I mean, I remain completely convinced that Tom Thibodeau is never going to not even maximize. Maximize is too lofty a standard for me here. Capably utilize what Carl Anthony Towns does well. Some of that is because of spacing. Some of that is because they have so many guys that want the ball in his hands but i mean it just there's there's so many times you're sitting there going this guy is special develop something that shows everybody how special he is that said carl towns has sucked this year like he can't score in the post he had six turnovers tonight he was five out of 16 i mean he had opportunities and you know the, and this is on a night when they made a franchise record 23 pointers they were 20 out of 40 from downtown and they shot only 41 percent on two pointer uh and towns i mean you know he only took two foul shots he was terrible on the defensive glass one of those ones at the end wasn't his fault because he was switched out onto lebron uh when lebron took a three uh but the other two he was in position on chandler wasn't able to box him out wasn't able to rise up above the crowd for a rebound uh and i mean you know he needs to be able to beast guys in the post i mean he's like goes up against a brandon ingram and just like can't get a good shot i mean i don't know if he's just not going hard enough if he's not in shape if it's just a mental issue dating back to last year's playoffs and like the whole butler saga i don't know what it is but like some of it has to go on him like he has not played well this year with the chances that he's gotten and even when we he wasn't getting enough shots last year and even with this spacing and this antiquated system and all this he still was extremely efficient last year and that just simply has not been the case this season so uh, i think he deserves you know certainly thibodeau could be maximizing him but towns uh you know has not looked like the player who earned a five-year max contract and he's certainly not anywhere close to especially if denver keeps playing well that's gonna be a big problem for him for making all nba he's gonna cost himself 30 million bucks if this keeps up towns is below 50 percent from the field this year i mean that that's shocking for a guy with his with his skill set and right now averaging 2.3 assists per game which i mean some of that is there's the ball not being in his hands enough but yeah i that's certainly a fair thing and i'm, I'm happy you mentioned that because towns has not been overall at the level that we wanted much less the level he was at last year and i I mean that's not the threshold for a guy who's as talented as towns is and as young as he is remember that he still he turns 23 in like a week and there's still there should be so much more room for him to grow and maybe maybe there's just some sort of curse with minnesota giving guys max extensions who knows but it's it certainly is a disappointing part of this and it is a a storyline for minnesota the rest of the year i don't i do not think this is like his destiny that towns is going to struggle like that for 
for the rest of the year. But as you said, it, it is something worth watching. And another game where Derrick Rose hits a bunch of shots. I mean, he was seven of nine from three in this game, including a couple of big ones late. He did miss on the last shot of the game, which actually could have won it, depending on what would have happened after that for Minnesota. And I didn't see a foul on that play. It looked to me like high five contact, which is which I have no problem with. But if that's what they're relying on to a point Minnesota is relying on to to get some of this offense, it could continue, but I wouldn't expect it. I mean, generally speaking, gravity affects all of these things. And even if he is a much better shooter than before, much better and seven of nine from three are not the same thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. But I think like he actually, you know, I've watched Derek Rose warm up many times. And uh, when he was at Golden State over the weekend, uh, I watched him. He actually was really hitting shots and warm ups from three, which he, you know, we have not seen as much from him lately. Uh, also really interesting I mean the standoff between Butler and Tibbs continues with Tibbs playing Butler 43 minutes I guess if uh, general soreness is going to be an issue he, Tibbs figures in the games he plays he might as well run him into the ground uh, so 43 minutes for Butler the most any Minnesota bench player played was 12 minutes in this game this every starter played 37 minutes or more Wiggins 41 Butler 43 Towns 39 uh this Lakers starting lineup is interesting now they've gone with really a jumbo size starting lineup ball is the smallest guy Ingram is really the two LeBron at the three Kuzma at four LeBron doesn't like to play four definitely doesn't like to play five uh and then they have McGee who had another nice offensive game in this one and then they closed with Chandler and Rondo in place of ball and JaVale the Lakers got some atrocious sh- atrocious shots late, in part because on those Tyson Chandler tip outs, they only had 14 seconds to get into it. But LeBron, I mean, he was just dribbling around at half court on a lot of those and, you know, waiting until there was like four on the shot clock to even start. Like he really looked, I don't know if he was tired or what, but he just, or just kind of arrogantly believed that he was going to make the, the tough three pointer. He took nine three pointers uh, in this one. A bunch of them were tough late. He was three out of nine. I did like that we saw Brandon Ingram who had 20 points uh, on 15 shooting possessions in this one six assists he had a really nice game he stepped into a three a, a couple feet behind the line from the top of the key and transitioned and drained it like that type of confidence is what you really want to see from him um and then i mean it's other than that this minnesota team i mean i've seen a lot of them in the last couple of weeks it's just it's got to just be so weird i mean butler in and out of the lineup rose misses a couple of games he's had 31 and 50 point games and then like not played at all in a bunch of some of these other games like uh jeff teague has been out he's missed his fifth straight with the knee injury they really just have very little continuity on this team andrew wiggins has 17 points in the first half and two points in the second half i i, I mean it's got to be really I have no idea what to expect of them and and if you're on this team you've got to feel the same way certainly uh also it's encouraging to see Lance Stevenson only get four minutes I think that's more the direction they need to be going I mean they are going with this jumbo group now with Ingram playing 35 minutes um KCP has really been struggling uh you know he has had this knee tendonitis and he only played 13 minutes and Hart you know maybe you would like to see him play a little bit more I wouldn't mind seeing if they're gonna go with this why not just play Hart instead of Ball or Rondo if they're going to stick with the traditional center and they had a traditional center on the floor every minute of the game here Chandler was 23 minutes and McGee was 25 so that was uh, all 48 it was also to me significant that Tyson Chandler in his first game for the Lakers just joined the team I can't remember if it was on Wednesday on 
Tuesday or Wednesday, technically, the equivalent waivers and basically immediately joined the Lakers. But why he was out there for those offensive rebounds, my instinct was the reason they did that is because they thought Minnesota was going to just run a play and they didn't want JaVale McGee out there defensively. Yeah, he was getting taken and, advantage of and pick and roll a little bit uh, towards the end there. Right. So, I mean, that's a, it's not an important statement because, I mean, you and I have a lot of familiarity with JaVale McGee, especially the last couple of years. But, I mean, every once in a while, there's this little bit of buzz that JaVale is better to defensively and it's like well he would another team chose a guy who joined joined the team basically today to play over him because they thought there might be a defensive possession yeah also uh, in some of the post-game stuff rondo was basically like telling chandler where to go on every possession at the end so maybe that's part of why he was in and rondo and ball's combined line is hilarious two out of 13 16 assists 11 rebounds and six turnovers <laughs> uh combined oh four from three um all right i don't have much more uh, on this one uh, unless you do should we get to news here yeah let's go to news so a lot of the stuff we're getting for this news segment actually is from sean Sharani of, of the athletic and i was really interested to see because i follow nba media very closely i mean i probably consume more of it than just about anyone i mean i spend probably three three hours a day at a minimum just reading about the nba and the athletic is probably where i'm reading like at least half of my stuff at this point and so shams is someone who obviously is a great reporter he Here's a lot of stuff. And so I wondered uh, how they're going to translate that skill into his writing. And so what they did is he's got this column now called Inside Pass. And he talked about the Jimmy Butler saga again, gave us some early additional details on the Heat's offer and saying, hey, you know what? Josh Richardson is averaging 22 a game and he's on a way better contract than Butler. You know, maybe he is more valuable than Butler just on his own at this point. And then that the Rockets package, they weren't interested in that, uh, included Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris. That's all really interesting stuff uh also said that at least seven teams are monitoring terry rozier's status this season um but you know it doesn't look like the celtics are going to try to move the suns have really aggressively pursued rozier apparently and then he's got just news and notes from around the nba where he's got a, a lot of interesting stuff here that Dwayne deadman could be a trade candidate which you know kind of makes sense kemba walker not a trade candidate dirk Nowitzki is going to try and be back in, in three weeks which is a little bit less than what we'd heard elsewhere the nuggets actually tried to get into the co- why talks i mean there's just he's got you know 10 or 15 of these nuggets in here it's really good stuff uh and worth reading the entire column you know it's not all on twitter anymore which uh is a smart business move but it would be a smart move for you to sign up for the athletic at theathletic.com slash cap space easier slash cap space because we talk about it all the time on the program and of course you'll get all of danny's stuff you wrote that oladipo piece you should tell the people about that yeah, so this is the one I alluded to on yesterday's broadcast. Basically, I was doing some digging over the summer and realized that the delay from the Paul George Oladipo Sabonis trade being reported slash agreed to and actually being consummated was one week, but that one week carried over the league year. And by carrying over the league year, that means that by the letter of the law in the CBA, Victor Oladipo is ineligible for a designated veteran contractor extension, even if he fulfills all the other requirements and so what the piece is about is laying out that case and you know going through some of the consequences that could be eventually felt because of that and for those who are interested in it there is also a we're i'm calling it an audio companion to it where i lay out not only the piece itself but also my research process and some of the other things because people are often interested in that and so it's not just the piece and explaining it it's also kind of how it came into being and so that's only available for subscribers as well once again the athletic.com slash 
catchphrase let's get to the rest of the news here one thing john schumann tweeting this out and i thought it was really interesting i just subjectively had noticed this uh and again you know we had some games today that were both slower and more defensively oriented and both the offensive efficiency league wide and the pace uh, have been dropping week one crazy pace 103 now we're down to 99 in week four uh across 13 games and then and that's this is before today too we saw some slower pace games again today and then offensive efficiency normally rises throughout the season but it was 109.6 in week one now it's down to 107.7 so these are more normal numbers for the league that are not just like crazily above last year it'd be interesting to monitor those trends as we continue uh in boston Kyrie irving fined twenty five thousand dollars for the nba by for throwing the ball into the stands after he was annoyed at jamal murray who first missed the layup to get his 50 and then tried a three with the shot clock up oh my god unwritten rule of basketball and so irving got all pissed off and threw the ball into the stands i guess the idea being that he wouldn't get to keep the ball from his 48 point game i've agitated the cat by uh my annoyance with uh these stupid unwritten rules of basketball like just be a man like don't let the guy get 48 points if you're worried about him going for 50 i mean basketball is fun people uh, like Kyrie of all people shouldn't be getting on someone for like caring about stats uh you know since that's basically he was a pretty that focus player for his first few years in the league well and i i'm hope i'm hoping that for the sake of devin booker that he wasn't at the game when booker dropped 70 a significant portion of that in garbage time i mean to me that is a lot more egregious than a guy taking one or two extra shots when he's at 48 and as you said and jalen rose said this too and he knows this better than almost anybody if you don't want somebody to get to a round number stop them a couple possessions before that so again i i think this kind of stuff is silly and i i I understand the fine no no problem with that i would say the most important piece of news that happened since the last time we did this is russell westbrook so westbrook had an ankle injury it looked bad we were watching in the media room at oracle because that game was on i believe nba tv before warriors wolves and it looked bad thankfully according to royce young it looks like it's an ankle sprain and nothing more he did not play in wednesday night's game against cleveland he is traveling with the team and they're figuring out a timeline i'm guessing you know like based on the reporting that royce has and everything else like he'll come back at some point next week and that is a whole lot better than i feared it would be and oklahoma city relies on him a whole lot yeah there was a report which i'm not sure what the source on it was from jen hale who is the pelican sideline reporter uh, and the pelicans were playing in that game against okc that it was a high ankle sprain and that you know i tweeted at the time oh if that's true we're looking at three or four weeks here for a high ankle sprain but but uh, no, it's just, I mean, a normal uh, inversion ankle sprain for Westbrook. I mean, I was worried about it because he landed with his full weight on that ankle. You know, it wasn't like one of those ones where like you're running and you take a step and sprain it. Like he landed from a jump on it. But uh, he also is uh, an absolute machine. And so I think if anyone's going to heal quickly, it'll be him. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that would be my guess is just, you know, middle of next week. Uh, we'll see him. I thought the biggest news was that we we're going to have to re- retire the whole 
whole voice of head coach sock puppet thing larry drew and the Cavs agreed on a deal for the rest of the season and then also a partial guarantee for next season so we'll see how this year plays out and you know i haven't heard of coaching contracts with partial guarantees before although you know we don't have access to those the way we do player contracts but that seems like a fair solution not clear exactly how much of a bump he got for this year either uh but this is kind of where it seemed like this was gonna end up and good job for those guys coming up with a a somewhat creative solution to resolve the issue and now unfortunately unfortunately drew Drew has to coach the team for the rest of the year and he will be coaching that team without sam decker for two to four weeks he has an ankle sprain george hill was a late scratch against okc which led to colin sexton starting that game and then jetty osman left the game early due to back spasms so they are beyond the walking wounded at this point with kevin love of course already being out and other guys just dealing with issues oh and unfortunately are you still on cleveland here one other thing on that yeah Uh, go ahead you go ahead no you go ahead uh no so uh i will go ahead (laughs) this is great radio um we talked about on the 15 and 60 like comparing this team with that first post lebron season in cleveland that team was devastated by injuries too i mean they had some established nba players and those guys just all got hurt and you know that seems like this year's Cavs team is heading in that exact same direction and you would have thought that maybe without westbrook this team could have been and they were competitive tonight at home but uh you know we're not able to pick up the win uh what else we got here what i was leading into was unfortunately for basically all of us thursday's headline game of milwaukee golden state lost a little bit of luster because draymond green will not play he missed the end of their win over memphis with what was called a right foot contusion now it is being classified as a toe injury he is out completely sean livingston is also out andre guadalla will return not believed to be serious by the way uh for draymond uh you know more of a day-to-day and it's kind of the same the same thing with livingston where i think they're using an abundance of caution because their season is not going to be defined by the next couple of days or weeks so i think the next place to go is their prime competition maybe not right now in terms of record but houston's dealing with some interesting stuff yeah eric gordon could be back for thursday night against the the thunder he's questionable with that groin issue and i think one of the biggest reasons that they have gotten better obviously they got Harden back they got ennis back but they also have been able to excise michael carter williams from the rotation completely he's gotten dnps the last couple of games have been getting some minutes uh, from gary clark uh, which has helped uh, so just getting an, a completely awful player out of the rotation a lot of times can have a, a, an outsized effect for the clippers they have perhaps the most guard depth in the league and they will be using some of that with avery bradley out with an ankle sprain he's been in a walking boot so he's already been ruled out against portland on thursday and you have to imagine that it'll be at least a couple of weeks there uh luke Bamute is still also out for thursday against portland as well but doc river says he will be back soon uh whatever that means someone who is already back thankfully Bogdan Bogdanovich returned for the Sacramento Kings in their closer than I, I would say anticipated loss to the Toronto Raptors nine points at the Golden One Center Bogdanovich played 18 minutes was three of seven from the field I did not get to watch the game to see how he looked but a guy who just can help that team another capable perimeter player is always welcome there and in a game that we didn't get to watch much of Hassan Whiteside had a crazy stat line both San Antonio and Miami ended up with 
with some unusual lineups. Miami's was due to Goran Dragic not playing, so they went with this lineup starting five involving Wayne Ellington and Richardson being their backup guards. And then San Antonio is dealing with Rudy Gay still not playing, and they actually started Derek White, who returned, and Bryn Forbes together. And their starters got worked so hard by Miami that they did a a hockey sub pretty early in that game, and Hassan Whiteside ended up with a completely appalling stat line, which I'm going to pull up now because it warrants inclusion on this podcast. 29 points, 20 rebounds, 9 blocks, and most importantly, 2 assists, and he missed his only 3. I think he had 8 of those blocks in the first half, too. Yeah, I think so. Uh Milwaukee in an expected move requested cap relief at the moment they were able to uh, one year after he last played for Mirza Toledovic. They had previously stretched the last 10 million or so that they owed Toledovic uh, when they waived him last season. He, uh, of course, uh, had to retire due to pulmonary issues. He is now actually officially retired. He has uh, accepted a position as the head of the Bosnian Federation. And so the effect there, if the long term injury exclusion is granted which appears likely with Toledovic having retired will be that Milwaukee will save about 3.5 million in salary this year at least towards the luxury tax they still have to pay him but uh, it won't count on their cap so they'll get up to 8 million in space now below the tax probably wouldn't have impacted them either way but they have a little bit more maneuvering room now to make some trades uh, potentially they already took on Jody Meeks uh, of course uh, with a a trade exception so they want to any ways i don't think left to take on players other than just in salary matching but they could do a lopsided salary trade and then uh opens up another 3.5 million in cap space for their exploits next summer they likely will be trying to retain guys stay over the cap but now they'll have a little more breathing room below the tax there uh in new orleans alfred payton still didn't play tonight but could be back saturday against the suns new orleans uh, desperately needed a win against the bulls and got one with anthony davis a slump busting 32 and 17 in new york uh, courtney lee's strange saga continues he's supposed to be reevaluated again with that neck injury in a week i mean it's been you know essentially since camp that he has had this and we haven't gotten a real understanding of what the issue is uh what else we got here jonathan isaac still dealing with this ankle issue and looks like you know maybe another week or so for him which is unfortunate they've been starting Wes wundu in his place and they actually went out to lead against the pistons but ended up losing that game 103 90 in Toronto they got Kawhi back against Sacramento in a game they won by nine but CJ Miles didn't play due to right hip bursitis and Norman Powell is expected to miss four to six weeks with left shoulder subluxation which even though your issues are lower body you have a better chance of figuring out what what this is compared to me yeah I think it's basically like a, a separated shoulder essentially um but a quick google search said a partial dislocation oh uh, yeah okay yeah okay so Ow. yeah I, I've I'm always forget the difference between a separation and a dislocation when it comes to shoulder injuries i'm I'm better with the lower body stuff the shoulder uh, i'm not as good at but he's to miss four to six weeks with that injury and those could be kind of tricky too because you know sometimes you need to have surgery uh sometimes you can just kind of try to rehab it and play but it's not really a hundred percent uh so too bad for powell uh although if any team can withstand that loss uh, it is the raptors and uh did we do philly yet we did not because it, it didn't really have an impact on the game which we we broke down earlier mike muscala broke his nose in practice so he is out for the next week and 
Sharsh was good that he he performed as well as he did in Muscala's absence. Yeah. I mean, not that those guys are necessarily competing for mints, but Muscala did close instead of Sharsh against the Pistons. And then Furkan Korkmaz, they declined his third year team option. And now, unsurprisingly, he has requested a trade because, I mean, you want to try to build up some of that value and he is far outside of their rotation at the moment. Yeah, but unfortunately for him, there's not much incentive to trade for him at this point because if he does get into a rotation, any, any team that, that trades for him could only pay him the value of what the declined option would have been which would have been somewhere you know in the two million dollar range he was a pretty low pick i think he was a uh, 26th overall uh so i mean i think you almost if your cork buys might want to just request you release it would, might be more realistic and, and philly is always uh, looking for roster spots i mean i think they'll keep him around you know if shamit goes down they might need him a, a little bit uh but you know, kind of too bad for Gorkamaz. I do think that he has some talent, you know, could come in, but it is more of a fit on a team that's not trying to win now, uh, necessarily. Uh, anything else there? Are we done? Uh, two quick things. One, unfortunately for Kirk on, for Kirk on Korkmaz, his dad does not run the personnel for an NBA team, so it's unlikely that he'll get like a one plus one and then make a bunch of money <laughs> on the next contract like Austin Rivers did. And that's a good point about demanding or asking for his release because as I understand it, that would actually enable a team to re-sign him. I mean, they would they probably would just use cap space anyway, but at least they wouldn't be subject to the restriction. That is the case here. And then the other piece of news, happy to see Donovan Mitchell return. Utah beat Dallas. 117 102 and that included an emphatic donovan mitchell dunk over around however we want to put it maxi kleba which was not as good as the sabonis dunk but was certainly worthy of consideration and will be worthy of consideration in the dunked on monthly awards dunk of the month which will be in early december oh one other thing too all-star draft gonna be televised say uh mark stein and kevin draper of the new york times which is awesome i'm glad that they managed to do that uh and uh i might even watch i might even watch i usually don't watch these like selection show award show things but we'll we'll just have to make sure that we do ours ahead of time yeah and then we january 31st so we got it we got to do it like a couple days beforehand and then and then we can talk about how we're so much better uh gms than the players are yeah all right that'll do it for today good fun long show we will close the week out tomorrow a long-awaited episode is it time for bad teams to panic we will tell you tomorrow till then is this house a good price compared to others in the area are prices going up or down if I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.